let's take our Bibles to stand, please. Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 7. Again, I want to encourage our members, if you have a guest or visitor here with you or someone next to you that doesn't have a Bible, please take a moment to share your Bible with them and help them find their way, Isaiah chapter 7. We're in a series this morning and tonight on prayer, and I hope you'll be back this evening. Uh, Kind of a concept of prayer that has not been preached on in this church probably much, if at all, and a concept that very few people understand, but really it's a... It helps us to understand how God answers prayer. How many want your prayers answered by God? Amen? I mean, especially when you're in time of need, you want your prayers answered by God, but you need to understand the concept that the Bible teaches us here, and we're going we're gonna to see kind of a sedgeway into that this morning. Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1, And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that reason, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up towards Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. And his heart was moved in the heart of his people as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. In other words, what it's saying there is that, just pausing for a moment, the nation of Israel had split into two nations years before. There was a northern kingdom and there was a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was known as Israel and consisted of 10 of the 12 tribes. The southern kingdom consisted of two of the tribes, Judah and Benjamin. Israel and Judah were like two warring brothers. They were brothers, but they didn't get along. And uh, the king of Israel at that time, his name was Pekah, King Pekah. And he had a strong hostility and a, honestly, strong hatred against Judah and King Ahaz. And he felt his opportunity was there for him to, uh, to try to take over Judah because he wanted the kingdom to be united under his terms, not God's terms. And so he thought the best way of doing that is to shore up his defenses and bolster his military, so he made an alliance with the king of Syria. If you know anything about your geography, Syria is right just here to the west of Israel. And Syria was a very powerful nation, and the king of Syria's name was Reason. The two of them together made a very, very potent force. And the Bible describes the situation when King Ahaz heard about this. Notice verse 2. It says that his heart and the heart of the people of Judah we're like the trees of the woods when there's a great windstorm. How many remember the windstorm last Sunday, man? A couple trees got blown down. You tried to go southbound 880 right after church, you were stuck. Your other places, power lines fell down. My son Justin thinks it was a judgment of God because of the profane and bad things that happened during Super Bowl Sunday during halftime. I agree, amen. But he asked me, that's not the sermon this morning, Amen. And so you have to understand, King Ahaz is, he's anxious. I'm being ganged up on. What am I going to do? Well, let's keep reading. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, and Isaiah is God's prophet. Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Shear-Jashub, thy son. If you need a name for your son, there it is right there, Amen. At the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. And say unto him, take heed, 
and be quiet. Fear not, neither be faint-hearted, for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, in other words, God's saying that, it's God telling Ahaz, there are a lot of smoke, but there ain't no fire, amen? And he says, for the fierce anger of reason was Syria and of the son of Remaliah. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah, that's King Pekah, have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, let us go up against Judah and vex it. Let us make a breach therein for us and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabiel. But thus saith the Lord God. Now here, here again, you might want to underline that. Whenever you see thus saith the Lord, it's just an encouragement to us. God's word never fails. God's word is certain, it's true. He says, thus saith the Lord. And by the way, that's why we assemble for worship on Sundays and other times for the preaching of God's word because worship, the centerpiece of worship is the preaching of God's word. We're hearing from thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is reason, thus the king. And within three score and five years, in other words, in 65 years, now God's only giving him a prediction that they're not going to be bothered. He's telling them about something that will happen 65 years from that moment. And he said, within three score and five years or 65 years later, shall Ephraim be broken that it be not a people. In other words, he's predicting, he's prophesying, Israel will no longer exist as a nation in the sense as a, as a as being, there won't be two nations, it'll be just Judah. The nation of Israel, because of rampant idolatry, and lack of repentance, God says, I've had enough of that. But he says, I'm going to give him 65 years. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. And he said this, if you will not believe, now he's talking to King Ahaz, if you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. Moreover, the Lord spake, against, spake again unto Ahaz, saying, ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either of the depth or in the height above. Now you want to underline those two words found in verse 11. The two words ask. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. I want to preach a message this morning entitled, Why Don't You Ask? Why Don't You Ask? Father, bless our time together. Thank you so much for this congregation that's assembled here. We pray for those watching by live stream this morning. Uh, because perhaps they're uh, hindered in some way or another. I pray that the message conveyed to them would be the same as being conveyed in this auditorium. We pray for our church family members, many of which who are away for the weekend. Some are sick and ill. Undertake, I pray for the mercies of God for their bodies and protection. And we thank you for all this. Bless our service today. Encourage us to pray. God, if I could pray for one thing for our church, I pray our church would rise up as a body of Christ that would just learn how to pray and we'll learn how to get a hold of God and we'll increase our prayer lives for your glory. We pray for this now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Ahaz was given this incredible prophecy. He saw these two nations that were that become confederate. They were against him. And they lined themselves together. It would almost be like if, if uh, two other superpower nations got together and wanted to do battle with the United States. I mean, it would be a very anxious moment for people of us who live here in the United States. But God said, it's not going to happen. I'm going to take care of you. He says, don't, don't, don't get scared. Don't get bothered about this. And 
He says, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. And he told him in verse 9, he says, if you will not believe, now he knew what Ahaz's heart, and as we get into our study a little bit, this off and on here through the book of Isaiah, we're going to probably take a moment or two to just kind of look at the life of King Ahaz. I did that a couple years ago on a, on a Wednesday night series, but we'll probably revisit the life of Ahaz so we can understand how this king had, had all of the resources of God at his disposal, but he rejected it. And God knew Ahaz's heart because Ahaz was not a very good king. In fact, under Ahaz's reign, he closed up the house of God. He boarded it up. Under Ahaz's reign, he defiled the house of God. He brought un unclean things into the house of God and, and, and sacrificed those things. It was just a mess in there. Later on, we read about how his son Hezekiah came in. And Hezekiah, in the very first week that he became king, the first thing he did was he reopened the house of God. He took the boards off and he got things cleaned up and he had to get everything back in order. But leading into that, King Ahaz had really messed things up. God said to King Ahaz, he said, hey, listen, you, I, I'm promising you that I'm going to take care of things here, but if you don't believe, he says, if you don't have faith in me, it shall not come to pass. Now, let me remind you this morning, one of the reasons why you want to read your Bible and one of the reasons why you want to spend time in the Word of God and one of the reasons why you want to be under preaching is you want to know what God says, what the commands of God are. You want to know what the promises of God are. And when you know those promises, you want to know when God says something, God does not lie. And so God knew Ahaz's heart. Notice verses 10 and 11. He says, listen. Ask the sign of the Lord thy God. Ask him either in the depth or in the height above. He said, listen, here's what I want you to do. I know your heart, he said. I'm going to do it, but just to help your confidence, ask me for a sign. Show me some sign. Just ask me. I'll give you a sign. He said, in fact, I'll tell you what. He said, I'm going to give you an open checkbook. He said, ask it of the heavens above. He said, there's no ceiling. Ask it of the earth beneath. He says, there's no, there's no depth. There's no, there's basically, there's no bottom. There's no ceiling. There's nothing to keep you from what you want to ask. Just go in and ask it. And he said, I will not ask. Those of you who have an Apple phone are familiar with the feature that many of you use probably better than I do. It's called Ask Siri. How many of you used Ask Siri, okay? You don't want to admit to it. But if you're driving and you realize you're supposed to keep your hands off the, the phone, you probably will touch something and say, you'll ask Siri a question. You'll ask Siri to give you directions. you ask Siri a question. I was in my study year, a couple years ago. I preached from this a couple years ago. And I, and I thought, you know, I just want to check out Siri. I've never really used Siri before. And I said, I want to ask Siri some questions. I thought, you know, I'm just going to go out of the box and ask Siri some questions. And I'm going to tell you what Siri told me. I said, hey, Siri, how old are you? Siri answered back, well, the humans have certainly aged me, that's for sure. I said, hey, Siri, when will the world end? And Siri responded back to me, well, Unix 32, bit time overflows on January 19, 2038. Only the IT people understand that, amen? Maybe then. I said, hey, Siri, are you married? Siri answered back, I'm married to my work. That sounds like some of us here, amen? I said, hey, Siri, do you like your job? And Siri said, I have the best job in the universe. I said, Siri, are you happy? Siri answered back, I'm happy. I hope you are too. Well, then I thought I'd get a little spiritual. Then I said, hey, Siri, are you going to heaven? Siri answered back, hmm, that's something I don't know. <laughs> Siri needs to get saved, amen? <laughs> Brother Long, I'm going to commission you on that one, amen? <laughs> hey, I said, hey, Siri, do you like basketball? And this is what Siri said. This is 2018. Absolutely, just ask me about the process or the beard or the Greek freak or King James or KD or AD or Chef Curry or Uncle Drew. I said, okay, that's too much for me, amen? 
I said, hey, Siri, do you go to church? And Siri answered back, I try to be satisfied with what I have. All jokingly, notice King Ahaz was just told one simple thing. Ask of me. Ask of me. You ever been in a situation where you could have helped someone? I mean, you had the resources to help them, maybe your child, a friend, or church member. You had the resources to help them, but they didn't ask you. And not that they didn't know that you didn't have the resources, but they just didn't ask, and they tried to do it their way, and they only to find out that they got frustrated, and what they wanted done, what they wanted done didn't get accomplished, and then later on you found out, and you're a little bit perplexed by that, like I get sometimes, and you go up to them in exasperation, and he says, why didn't you just ask me? God asked us a question this morning, why don't you ask? I don't want you to look with me this morning at this question, why is it that we don't ask God? The Bible tells us in James 4.2, a very concerning principle. It says, you have not because you ask not. Ahaz told God, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. This morning, as our starter into a subject of prayer, I want us to start off this morning by looking at what I call the sin or the problem of prayerlessness. Why we don't ask. Why is it that we don't pray? Why is it that we're limited in our praying? Why is it that perhaps we've been praying for long periods of time and we don't see something or we're not praying enough? Why is it that we're, not, we're feeling our prayers bounce off the ceiling? I want you to notice, first of all, this morning, the cause for prayerlessness. The cause for prayerlessness. When we pray, let me give you a definition for prayer. Prayer is when we come to God and ask him to do what we cannot do. That's prayer. Prayer is when we come to God and ask him to do what we cannot do. Prayer is first of all realizing that God is. Realizing that God is a God who answers prayer. How many believe God answers prayer, amen? How many believe God is capable and able to answer prayer, amen? In fact, he's so great and capable of answering, answering prayer. He tells us through the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 20, he makes a statement. Now, to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Prayer is asking, very simply. Prayer is asking. Prayer is approaching the throne of grace. And by the way, if you're not saved, you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Before God's throne can be a throne of grace, it is first a throne of justice. God and his throne has to judge us because of our sin. But when you get saved, when you realize you cannot save yourself, and you come to God and plead for his mercies in your life, you call upon the name of the Lord to save you. Tell the Lord that you realize you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again from the dead. When you by faith appropriate and accept Jesus Christ as Savior, that throne of justice becomes a throne of grace. Grace is God's unmerited love towards you and I. It's love that we don't deserve. And through that loving arrangement, that throne of grace is a place where we can come boldly before God and approach Him for our needs. Prayer is asking. Prayer is the exercise of faith. Hebrews eleven six tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. But the question we have is, how do we exercise faith? How do you live a walk of faith? I mean, the Bible says we should walk by faith and not by sight. How do we do that? Well, Hebrews eleven six 6 answers that for us. 
Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. We, the starting point is we must believe that God is. That God is powerful. That God is almighty. That God is infinite. That God can answer our prayers. That God is faithful and just. It is that God is, that not God was or God will be. God is, that he's able to answer our prayers. He's able to meet us where we're at. God is, the Bible says we must believe that he is and a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's an encouragement to pray. That's an encouragement to step out and ask God to do something for us. Prayer is moving the hand of God to work on our behalf. Prayer is asking the almighty creator of heaven and earth that we telling him that we need him. Prayer is unlocking the treasure house of heaven and asking God to pour out his, a blessing that we cannot contain. You see, in prayer, we are commanded to pray. It is not an option to pray. We have an obligation to pray. We're commanded to pray. God wants us to pray. Listen to what Luke 18.1 says. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that that men ought always to pray and not to faint. In Ephesians 6.18, Paul was writing to the believers there at Ephesus, and he told them this, praying always with all prayer and supplication. God wants you and me to pray. God wants you and me to pray always. God wants you and me to pray often. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul, in writing to the believers again at Ephesus, he told Pastor Timothy, I exhort therefore, notice this, that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving and thanks be made first for all men. Paul said this, first of all, prayers and supplication should be made for all men. We need to pray. God commands us to pray. Oswald Chambers said this great statement. He said, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. God wants us to pray. God wants you to get moved, wants you and me to move out of the place of indifference and move out of the place of laziness and perhaps the place of lethargy and to move towards him in prayer. Now we know that prayer, prayer is important and we know that God wants to answer our prayer. But the question God asks us, do you pray? How do you pray? Are you praying now? Do we pray daily? Do we pray often? Do we pray when we're not facing a crisis? Do you pray? The Bible asks us a statement. You have not because you ask not. King Ahaz says, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. Pastor Ronnie Floyd said this, prayerlessness occurs when you depend on yourself. You see, just as that man said, many times we feel like we can do it on our own way. We only pray when we feel like we cannot do it ourselves. We should have this attitude, we need God all the time in our lives. Why is it we do not pray? What is the cause for prayerlessness? Well, let me give you some thoughts this morning. Number one, I think sometimes we're just too busy. I think we're just too busy. We have so many things we plan out and so many things we think about and so many people we're obligated to and so many things we want to do, we're too busy. Sometimes it's because we do not feel a need. We don't feel like there's a reason to, to pray. We don't feel like there's a crisis going on. We don't feel like there's a financial need. We don't feel like we're, we're moved enough. We don't feel like we want to test God to see if God is able. Uh, many times for many of us, we don't pray because we don't schedule it. We don't schedule into our day. I want to encourage you this morning, one of the best things you could do if you're having difficulty and having a regular time of prayer is just to make a point to schedule it. Just like you make an appointment to go see your doctor, your dentist, or whatever it may be, make an appointment to see God. If you have to make an appointment to see God, I guarantee you, you'll just find yourself regularly at this place of seeing the Lord. Sometimes we don't pray because we're too tired. We wait till the end of the day instead of, uh, instead of the beginning of the day when we're a little bit more fresh. Uh, sometimes we feel like we work too many hours and we don't have the energy. Uh, we feel like we, don't, we, we can't pray because some of us can't get up early enough or stay 
stay, stay up late enough. Uh, we would rather have someone else pray for us. It's amazing the number of people that say something like this, pastor or brother so-and-so, pray for me. Would you pray about this and pray about that? And we do pray for that. And we do pray for you. But if you're not praying for yourself, how is God going to work? You're never going to see a demonstration of God's power in your life if you're not praying for yourself. I've had many situations where I've been in the hospital I've been at deathbeds. I've been at places with people. They'll say, Pastor, pray for me. And I do pray for them. And I pray for them. But the question always asks them, are you praying for yourself? Are you coming to God himself? If you're not even concerned enough to pray for yourself, how can God hear our prayers and intervene on your behalf there? We need to pray. Sometimes we don't pray because our spirit is all messed up. How many understand that? Amen? Our spirit is messed up. In other words, there's maybe, there may be unsettled issues between us and other people. It might be a conflict issue that has not been resolved. It might be because of anger problems that we cannot let loose of, or maybe deep-seated bitterness, or maybe a long season in which there's been unforgiveness that has festered in our hearts that we cannot pray because of those things in our heart. We don't pray sometimes because we're stubborn. We just feel like we can do it ourselves. We don't pray sometimes because we're short-sighted. We just cannot see far enough. Sometimes we don't pray because we have too much self-will. Ahaz had the heaven's disposal. He had heaven's treasures at his disposal. God said, I'm going to take care of this. He said, reason is not going to come into this kingdom. And Pekah, he's not going to come to this kingdom. And in fact, he said, in 65 years, the nation of Israel no longer exists. And he said, the nation of Syria will not bother you. He says, now, if you have any doubt about that, he says, just ask me a sign and I will give it to thee. He says, just ask a sign because I want to answer you. I want to do this for you. And Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. I think that's the heart of most Christians, if you would, as a, as a, as a standard. Most people will not ask God. God. Most people will not entertain going into the presence of God and saying, God, I need you. And that's depicted by the fact, as we go week after week after week, are we spending meaningful time in prayer? Do we have a prayer list so we can stand before God and say, Lord, I'm concerned about all these needs, and I'm bringing them before the, God, before the Lord of heaven and asking God that, that to do something great on my behalf. Ahaz was told, you can ask of the heavens above and the earth beneath. And he said, I will not ask. I mean, I don't know about you, but you're given an open checkbook. God says, you can can, there's no ceiling on what you can pray for. And there's no bottom in terms of what you can ask. God is saying, just stretch your imagination. Stretch your soul. Open your mouth wide, he said, and I'll fill it. He says, call unto me and I'll answer you and show you great mighty things which you know not of. But this man Ahaz said, I will not. I will not ask. Neither will I tempt the Lord. Now he was a little bit brazen and he was a little bit stubborn, probably more so than anybody in this room. But I'm afraid, I'm fearful that for a lot of us in this room that we, we don't dare to ask God. We're afraid to ask God for something great. We're afraid to ask God to do something that stretches our imagination, that stretches our vision, that stretches the limit of what we can do. I'm saying this morning, if we're not very careful, we can be like King Ahaz, where we just live our life day by day and saying, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. When the gospel first went into the country of Africa, those people who were idol worshipers and pagan worshipers, as they learned of a God in heaven, there was only one God, not multiple gods. The God in heaven that could save their soul. And a God who made all those wonderful natural wonders that they saw. Africans were getting saved by the droves. As they got saved, it really got a hold of them. And they learned that the, that the important thing of the Christian life is learning how to have a walk with God. 
As the scriptures were being translated in those early days into their language, they were just seizing upon the word and reading it and letting it sink in their hearts. And as the missionaries were teaching them how to pray and training up national men to become pastors, they were teaching them to pray and walk with God. Many of those African converts, they would go into the bush countries out there and they would just hack away a spot and they would find a spot that would be their own and they would kneel down and pray. And over long periods of time, you would see these well-worn paths where these African converts were praying. But every now and then, they would notice that if there was an area that was once occupied by a fellow brother or sister that now was being overgrown, they would kindly go to the hut of that, of that brother or sister, and they would knock on that hut, and they would tell them something like this. They would say, brother, the grass grows on your path. In other words, we noticed a place that you used to occupy, a place that you used to pray, a place that have, had the grooves of your knees there. It, it, it represents now that there's grass growing. You haven't been there in a period of time. And I wonder this morning if I can gently ask this question, when was the last time that you spent time with God in prayer? When was the last time that you can point that the, the place shows that your knees were there and, and the spot maybe stained with some tears that shows that you spent time before the very presence of God? There was a man by the name of Edward Payson. If you read about him, what a great man of prayer. Edward Payson was a man that prayed in the same place for many, many years. They say one day after the man died and went to heaven, they were giving a tour of his home. And as they gave a tour of his home, the person that knew him very well says, here's the place where Edward Payson prayed. And they saw the spot and there in the hardwood floors literally were these grooves that were just been, that had been embedded in there by this man kneeling in the same place for many, many years where he prayed. There is where he prayed. They say about one great Christian, one great pastor who prayed, and as he wrestled against the devil, and he wrestled with God every day for the souls of his congregation, they said that literally that the place where he prayed, he had his face towards a wall. They said that the wall was stained with the breath of his prayers. That man had prayed so earnestly, fervently there. I'm just asking you this morning, do we pray? Do we spend time in prayer? Do we just go through the litany or through the, just the emotions or the routine of just saying, God bless brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so and so-and-so and this and this, but we never see any answers to prayer. We never see God consistently and frequently doing something on our behalf. Ahaz was a man who said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. I remind you this morning, there's the reason why we don't pray. But notice secondly, not only is the cause, the cause of prayerlessness, but you notice secondly, the consequences of prayerlessness. What are the consequences for not praying? Are there consequences? Yes, there are. Prayerlessness is a sin. Prayerlessness breaks the heart of God. I want you to notice from 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, what, what the prophet Samuel said. And Samuel was one of, is one of the great characters of prayer. In fact, where you find his name mentioned, it is always associated with prayer. In fact, his, the very name Samuel means asked of God. And Samuel, as he was preaching to the nation of Israel, he made this statement. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good in the right way. I mean, this man, this man Samuel, this prophet of God, was so convicted about prayer, he said it was a sin not to pray for the people of God. Let me tell you at a very minimum, it's a sin if we don't even pray for our family. It's a sin if we don't pray for one another. It's a sin for us to take a prayer page and say, I'll pray for someone and not pray for them. The Bible tells us that the sin of pr that prayerlessness is a sin. John Bunyan, who was a great Baptist preacher who spent many years in jail, was also a great man of prayer. And he made this statement, prayer will make a man cease from sin or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. Now, either one or the other. Either sin is keeping us from praying or pray praying is keeping us from falling into sin. Prayerlessness results in a soul that is barren and shriveled up. If you have excess period of time, and I have excess period of time when we're not praying. You know what happens to our soul life? Our soul life becomes dried up. 
it becomes shriveled up. It's kind of like right now, we're coming off a rainy season, and with all the abundance of rain we had during the, during the rainy season, it helped a lot of us who have gardens and plants. It gave great saturation. But we've gone several weeks now where there hasn't been rain. And if you're not watering your plants, you're going to start noticing that the ground is starting to get a little more drier and a little bit more parched. And your plants are starting to die up there. And the same thing happens for you and I. Prayer, prayer is as important to the soul as breathing is to our lungs. If you hold your breath for a long period of time, you're going to realize you're going to have to let go because you need to take in air. And that's the same way with the Christian life. We need to realize that if we're not praying, our soul shrivels up. We become dried up in our way, and we need God's, the breath of heaven to breathe in our life. Charles Spurgeon said this, nothing brings such leanness into a man's soul as a lack of prayer. If you want to deprive your spiritual life of blessings, if you want to get to a place where you're just shriveled up in your Christian life, you take periods of time where you're not praying, and you're going to see that happen. Prayerlessness results in unbelief and little faith. We saw that earlier from Hebrews 11.6. If we're not praying, there's unbelief. In fact, notice what God said to Ahaz here. Ahaz, he told Ahaz in verse 9, he says, and the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. He says, if you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. He says, if you don't believe what I'm telling you, if you have unbelief and no faith in this, he says, you will not be established. I cannot perform what I said I would do for you. Prayerlessness is the reason why we have relational conflicts. Now, there's a correlation. Much prayer, much love. Little prayer, little love. If you're going through life, and everybody does, and you're going through life where there's relational conflicts, you can always trace it to one fact. There's been a lapsence of prayer in the person's life. Listen to what the Bible says here, Matthew 5, 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Listen to this. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. God was, Jesus was talking to a large number of Jews who were angry and upset with the Pharisees because the Pharisees had taken advantage of them. In fact, as far as they were concerned, that hostility between the Pharisees and between the people was such they considered one another enemies. Jesus had to deal with that issue right there. And he says, let me help you with your relational conflicts. He says, love your enemies. Pray for them which despitefully use you. Now, I think some of you who, who are doing this can testify to that. If you're praying for someone who's against you, you're praying for someone who is an, who's adversary to you, you just realize God does more to change you first before he changes that person. And he gives you a love that you didn't have before and a tolerance that you didn't have before. And you deal with it and you work through it. But notice later on in the book of James, James is addressing relational conflicts among Christians in, those early, in the early days of the church. And he said this in James chapter 4, verse 1, from when come wars and fightings among you. Come they not hence, even of your lusts that warn your members? You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, uh, yet ye have not, because you ask not. You ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lust. I will promise you this, the strongest marriages are marriages that are praying. And the strongest families are the ones that are praying. That's why uh, the, uh, the Peter admonishes husbands. He tells husbands this, Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together the grace of life. And he says there, that your prayers be not hindered. You see, our marriages become tempered and strong as we're praying together. And our church becomes tempered and strong as we're praying together. If you have not done so, I would encourage you this morning to get a prayer partner. Find someone in Heritage Baptist Church who prays, who's a strong prayer warrior, that will be a prayer partner with you. Find someone that will pray with you, that will keep you accountable, that will help you to pray. We need to have prayer partners. We need to pray. We need to pray to lessen the impact of relational conflicts. Listen to this. Prayerlessness is the reason we don't have victory over sin. We saw that earlier. 
Prayerlessness is why we are lacking in power and spiritually sterile. Listen to what happened to the church in, at, uh, in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, now this, the church was together, they were in one accord and they prayed. When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Now leading up to that, the church was feeling pretty powerless. They were feeling pretty much rejected because they had been censured by the, by the Jewish high priest and the Sanhedrin. They said, you're no longer to speak in the name of Jesus Christ. If you do so, we're, we're gonna come after you, we're gonna throw you in jail. And Peter and John came back to their brethren at the the church there in Jerusalem, they gave them the report. They didn't know what to do, and they just decided at that moment in time, we need to have a prayer meeting. And so the church had a prayer meeting. By the way, that's a good thing to do. When we're overwhelmed, we're not sure to do, the best thing to do is have a prayer meeting, amen? And they had a prayer meeting, and they started praying, calling out to God. And the Bible says as they prayed, the power of God came down in Acts 4.31. The, the Bible says the place was shaken where they were assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Listen, we need to pray to get God's power. We need to pray pray so that we can be used of God. And then notice something else here. Prayerlessness is why unsaved people don't get saved. It's why the reason they don't get saved is because we're not praying for them. Paul said this in Romans 10:1, "Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved." I want to encourage you this morning as we work, we're getting ready about 2 months from now, about a month and a half from now, we're getting ready for our big Easter outreach, which is going to be Saturday, April 11th, and Sunday, April 12th, and we're going to have a we're going to have a large children's treasure hunt, and then we're going to have a, Christ, uh, a, a Easter musical on Saturday and Sunday night. And one of the things we've done over the years, we've asked our church family, uh, you'll be getting this in your bulletin shortly, to take a what we call a prospect sheet or an invitation sheet, and to list out names of people that you'll that you want to have have the church pray for. That you'll list out names of people that you want to invite or encourage to come to our Easter outreach there, and we're going to put it up on a cross here. And last year was that the entire cross was just covered with names that people tacked on there or people that were being prayed for. And God bless, and the church auditorium was filled up Saturday night and Sunday night and uh, Sunday morning and Saturday night and Sunday morning. It was filled up with people. And people that you invited, they came. Some didn't, but many did. And we're thankful that people have come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. We're thankful that we have a prayer page where we've listed the names of unsaved people. And slowly we're seeing people that were on that prayer page getting saved and we're and crossing that name off and saying, that person's got saved. And, and now we have space for someone else that is not saved to get on there. I want to encourage you to be thinking about all the people you know that are not saved, that do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, that you'll put on a list and that you'll pray for. And as we approach our Easter, Easter outreach, that you'll share with the church and say, would you join me in praying for this individual? Paul made no bones about the fact. He prayed for Israel that it might be saved. I think he prayed for the priests. I think he prayed for the Sanhedrin. I think he prayed for centurions and soldiers. I think he prayed for people whose doors he knocked on. He prayed for people to get saved. We need to pray for people to get saved. If we're not praying for them, they won't get saved. Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. Listen to this. Prayerlessness is why men are not being called to preach and why missionaries are not being sent to the mission field. That's, the, that's just the truth of the matter. Jesus said this. In Matthew 9 38. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. The great prayer request our Lord Jesus Christ gave to us back as he was assembling these leaders that would, take, that would lead the church, he told them pray for laborers for the harvest. Today, 2,000 years later, we're still praying for laborers for the harvest. We're praying for God, for God to touch the hearts of men, all men, that men would realize the need for laborers and they would step out by faith and obedience to go out and represent the Lord. We go to Acts chapter 13, we find that, that 
Paul and Barnabas and three other preaching, teaching pastors of the, of the church at Antioch were there praying together. And as they were there together, the Lord was working. And there we find the missions movement beginning started there at the church at Antioch there, Antioch of Syria. And notice what it says there in Acts chapter 13. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. You see, when we pray for, for, for the things that God said to pray for, that it, or within his will, God promises to answer those things. Listen to this. Prayerlessness is why we sometimes become spiritually stagnant or go into spiritual decline. We feel like our Christian life has lost the sweetness, and we feel like we've, we we're kind of in a decline. And maybe you're feeling that. And every now and then when we get to that place, we need to identify it might be because we have not been praying. Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And I think that's the truth. Many Christians just say the same thing. I don't think I have time to ask. I think I'm too tired to ask. I think I'm too busy to ask. Or they have this concept that God will not hear them. And I want to encourage you this morning. God does hear you. And God wants to answer your prayer. And God is for you, the Bible says, and not against you there. Prayerlessness is why we live in frustration and much anxiety. Would you notice Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7? And maybe I'm speaking to someone as we read these verses. Someone this morning, you're anxious. You get worried very frequently. You have a lot of fear. You're worried. You're frustrated. Listen to what the Bible says. Be careful for nothing. That's a command. Don't let cares overwhelm you. Don't get yourself to a place where you're overwhelmed. Don't be so anxious and worried about things. Be careful for nothing. But he said in everything. What's everything? Everything. Amen? And everything by prayer and supplication, detailed time with God. And everything by prayer and then with supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, Paul was writing to the church at Philippi. There was, that was a praying church. But just like our churches, their church was growing. They had people that were in the congregation that by their very nature or because of their family background or because of crises in their life, they were anxious. They were frustrated. They were overwhelmed. There were health issues. There were financial issues. There were emotional issues. There were family issues. There were, there were relational issues. I mean, you name it. Any kind of issue that would cause stress, they were stressed out. That's what he's talking about there. But he said, listen, I understand that. And he didn't go on this long diatribe to, to tell you why you, get this, why you get this way and what is the cause of depression and what is the cause of all these other things. And I, there's a place for that. I understand that. He didn't get into that. He just said this, be careful for nothing. Because God already knows what the problem is, and he just tells us, stop worrying about what you're worrying about. Stop being frustrated and anxious. And he says, you know what you need to do? Stop that and go to God in prayer. Tell God what you need there. And he says this in verse 7. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep, or literally reign, or literally rule, or hold together your hearts through and minds through Christ Jesus. And I think what's important there, he's saying that God, the peace of God will hold together our hearts and our minds in Jesus Christ there. Prayerlessness will help that. Prayer, prayerfulness will help that. Prayerlessness is why, it's some, it's for some of us as Christians, we wind up becoming lukewarm and indifferent about things. Nothing bothers us. We're not bothered about praying. We're not bothered about the need for missions and missionaries going out. We're not bothered about taking tracts and inviting people to church. We're not bothered about serving God or being more involved or being more, more frequent in our attendance to God. And here's what the book of Revelation says in Revelation 3.17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods. And notice this phrase, have need of nothing. And we get the place where we feel like we're contented with everything, have need of nothing. Lukewarmness has set in. We're not hot. 
We're not cold. We're just, we're just kind of indifferent to things. And then because we're indifferent, there's no motivation. There's no drive for us to pray. Brethren, I'm encouraging you this morning. God wants you and me to pray. Prayerlessness is the sin that leads to all other sins. Dr. John R. Rice said this, all of our failures are prayer failures. Charles Spurgeon said this, it is well said that neglected prayer is the birthplace of all evil. Do you pray? Do you pray extended seasons of prayer? Did you know something this morning? Heathen pray. Did you know people who do not have a belief in Jesus Christ, they pray? Listen to what Jesus said about that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. Jesus was telling those believers, you should be praying. Let me tell you, the heathen, those who are pagan, those who do not have a belief in God, but they're praying to some deity, some entity, they're praying there. He says, they're using vain repetitions. They're using, saying the same thing over and over again, hoping that it's like a, like a rabbit charm that'll help them. He says, they pray. Listen, heathen pray. God's people should pray. Did you know hypocrites pray? Hebrew, uh, Matthew 6, 5. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogue, in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say to you, they have the reward. Jesus is just saying this to us. He's saying heathen pray and hypocrites pray. They, they pray to be seen of men. That's not saying what they're doing is right. That's not saying their prayers are going to heaven, but just saying if they would pray, how much more God's people should pray. But here's something that should disturb us. Did you know even people in hell pray? Even people in hell pray. Listen to what he says in Luke chapter 16, verses 27 to 28. Then he said, this is the man that, that Jesus talked about that went to hell, this rich man. He said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. Now what's going on there? A rich man died. He never put his profession of faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. He thought his riches could save him. He trusted in his riches, uncertain riches, more than he did in the living God. And when he passed his life, he, went, he descended and went directly into hell. Listen, when you, when you die without Jesus Christ as Savior, there's no middle ground. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. When you die without Jesus Christ as Savior, you're not going to heaven. You're going to wind up going to hell. That's not where God wants you to be. That's not God's will for you. And he had this man that tried to encourage him to, about, about, about salvation, but he didn't listen. And that man, while he's in hell, he has full consciousness. And one of the things that should really disturb us is that in hell, people have full consciousness. In consciousness, he started thinking about family that was still alive and back on earth. He started thinking about five brothers that he was very close to, and he was concerned for those brothers. And that man, while he's suffering, that's how the Bible describes it, he was in torment and suffering in hell as he's conversing with God. He says, well, God, will you do me a favor? He says, I've got five brothers. Would you send Lazarus? Would you send a soul winner to my, to my family and tell my family that they need to get saved? I mean, even people in hell, are so they're more concerned about people that they have left behind than sometimes we are, and we're right here. And then in verse 28, he says, I have five brethren that he may testify unto thee, uh, unto them, lest they also come to this place to torment. And later on, we read the fact that God said, no, I'm not going to answer that prayer. We need to pray. There's a consequence for not praying. It's a sin not to pray. We need to pray. Finally, this morning, would you notice one other thing? We'll go back to our passage of Scripture this morning. James said, you have not because you ask not. Samuel said, God forbid that I should sin in ceasing to pray for you. Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And God said to Ahaz, listen, ask of the heavens above and the earth beneath. He said, there's no ceiling, there's no bottom. He said, you can ask what you will. Hey, I want to encourage you this morning, before you leave today, be encouraged by one thing. God is encouraging you to pray. God wants us to pray. God wants you to approach the throne of grace. God wants you to stretch your imagination, stretch your soul, and ask for God to do something great and mighty that you cannot do, that only he can do. What's secure then? Go back to Isaiah chapter 7 for a moment.
And in verse 13, God's answer to Ahaz was this. Hear you now, O house of David. He's not just talking to King Ahaz. It was the entire nation of Judah. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? Will you weary my God also? God wants us to pray. God wants us to exercise faith. God wants us to know that he's there to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. God wants us to know that in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 32, it says, makes this promise, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Jesus, in teaching about prayer, he talks about prayerlessness, but then he encourages us to pray. He says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 11, ask and ye shall receive. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For he that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And he that knocketh, shall be opened unto him. Then he uses an analogy that drove home the principle there. He talked about our relationships with our family. He says, which of you having a son, if your son should ask for bread, will he give him a stone? If your son should ask for fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good things to them that ask him? And I want to emphasize the phrase, and I'll talk about it tonight in, from Luke chapter 11. He says, how much more? He says, if you and I would, do, would go out of our way to do something for our own children, if you're, you love your children so much you do something for them, how much more shall our Father in heaven, as Brother Long prayed this morning, that who's the Father of lights, and the Father of mercy, and the Father of pity, and the Father of, of everyone who believes on him. He's the Father of heaven. We can call him Abba Father. How much more shall our Heavenly Father open himself up to answer your prayers and mine? He says, all you've got to do is pray. So what do we do? What if we find, our, what if we find ourselves in this place of being prayerless, that we realize God has spoken to us, that we're not spending enough time in prayer, we haven't prayed him. He wants to pray. Well, let me give you some, some very simple steps as far as the cure for prayer. Number one, would you write this down? The first thing this morning is confession is the cure for prayerlessness. Confession is a cure for prayerlessness. And we, and we want to write down in your notes 1 John 1 9. Confess prayerlessness as a sin. Confess prayerlessness. Make an admission to God that you know you have not, that you've not prayed. Make an admission to God. Tell the Lord that you know you have not prayed, that you've been missing your prayer time. You've not spent time in prayer. Confess to God this matter of prayerlessness. With a starting point there is realizing we need to confess it. Why? Because the Bible says this in Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. We cannot succeed. We cannot go forward unless we confess it. God wants us to approach him first of all. Confession is a cure. Secondly, would you write this down? The closet is the cure to prayerlessness. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about having a secluded place, a quiet place, a place where we're not going to be bothered or disturbed that we call our closet. Now, in the Jews, where they, in, the, in the kind of place they lived, a closet was considered just a little compartment, a little, a little room that they would keep a storage there. And where they lived, they didn't have multi-multi-rooms. I mean, for them, if they had, they most likely had one common room and probably a loft. And people slept in the loft or they let the guests stay in the loft. And then they would sleep downstairs. I mean, it was a very compacted room. Everything was in one place. And sometimes that, that closet could be that loft. And sometimes that closet could be somewhere outside. But he's identifying a sequestered place. A place that's sequestered. A place that's sacred. A place that's special. A place that is secret. 
And he said this in Matthew chapter 6, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So here's the thing. If we're going to have a meaningful prayer time, and if we're going to have a meaningful prayer life, we've got to identify a place. Now, I don't know where that might be for you. I have a place that is meaningful to me, one or two places I use, and places I go to. One of our men went, went, uh, went away for... Um, to visit his family in another country uh, the last two weeks and just got back. And he was communicating with me during, during that time he was away. And he showed me this area where his parents live. And it's kind of an kind of open, open, um, open area. It's kind of a wooded area. Kind of a, just an open space area there that was behind their home. And it was kind of on a canyon area overlooking things. And he was just describing, he sent me a picture. And I was thinking, well, I wonder what he's trying to tell me in this picture. I mean, it was a nice looking picture. And he was telling me that just how it was a very secret place. And he said, Pastor, he said, well, I've been away. I, I chose this place. And he, showed, he identified this rocky area. And he says, I took some time today right in this area to pray for you and for our church. And a secret place is kind of like what that brother did. It's for you and I to find a place in your home or find a place where you can pray that's your secret place. Now, for some of you, you may, leave, you may live in a home that's very compacted with a lot of people and you don't have a lot of privacy. It just might basically mean you've got to wait maybe later at night or early in the morning when everybody else is asleep, and that's your private place. It might be at the kitchen table. It might be at a living room chair. It might be in the restroom somewhere that maybe you have to go, just close the lid to the toilet and, and kneel towards the bathtub and maybe pray to that. In some cases, it may be getting up a little bit early and going to work before everybody else goes to work and sitting in your little cubicle an hour before everybody else arrives and making that your place of prayer. Or maybe for some of you, it might be just getting a little bit early to work or parking somewhere that's safe and there in your, in your car that you can pray and talk to God. Whatever it may be, identify a daily time and identify a daily place where you'll meet God in prayer. That you identify as the place where you meet with God and God meets with you. It's a secret place. Jesus said, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And I want to tell you this morning that the closet is the cure to prayer. If you don't have that place, if you don't have an identifiable place, you're not going to be consistent in your praying time. But when you have that identifiable place, you'll have this desire in your heart that you know God is waiting to hear from you. And he does want to hear from you. God is waiting to hear from you to exercise faith and to call upon him during that time. So we notice this morning that confession is the cure to prayerlessness. The closet is the cure to prayerlessness. But notice Hebrews 4.16. Coming to God is the cure to prayerlessness. Now, I think for a lot of people I speak with over the years, of challenges in praying, I think it's just the starting point that's really the most difficult. Just come. Just come. So we invite people to church. They, they're a little bit hesitant about coming. First of all, they're a little bit concerned about meeting all these people. Uh, secondly, they're concerned about going to a place they've not been there before. We all have those apprehensions. You know, we have apprehensions about meeting somebody new, going to somewhere new, and all these kind of things there. We're not really sure what to expect. And, you know, and we just tell them, hey, just come, just come. Yesterday, we're out, uh, a, number, a good number of our people were out uh, uh, so winning yesterday for so winning Saturday. And, and uh, I think at the end of the day, if you got an opportunity to talk to somebody about the Lord, you basically said, well, just come. I'll meet you there. You know me. I'll be, I'll be your friend for that day, and I'll show you around and help you to see things. But the Bible says the same thing about prayer. Just come. Come to God in prayer. Let's look at Hebrews 4.16. And the writer of Hebrews is talking to Christians who, were this, who felt the same way or the same place even modern day Christians feel. They just came to a standstill. They were not praying. And they were having challenges. And they were having crises. And they had problems. And they had trials. And they had difficulties. And they didn't know what to do. And here's what he said. Let us therefore come boldly. Now don't just, don't, don't just come come. Come boldly, come with fearlessness, come with courage, 
Come without hesitatingly. Come without being inhibited. He says, come boldly, notice this, to the throne of grace. That throne of grace is an invitation for you and I to approach God. It's a place where God welcomes us and wants us to come. He says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Notice this, more than anything else, that we may obtain mercy. I was reading from Daniel chapter 2 this morning, my devotion, so encouraged about the God of mercy. And God wants us to meet him there, and he's going to meet us there with mercy. He's a God of mercy that we maintain mercy. Listen, we need health mercies, and we need trial mercies, and we need financial mercies, and we need spiritual mercies, and we need forgiving mercies, and we need physical mercies, and we need enablement mercies. We need the mercies of God, God showing his pity and love towards us. And he says that we maintain mercy and find grace to help, help that'll keep us from falling apart and coming to pieces in our very time of need. If you're someone who gets frazzled very easily and frustrated and worried and, uh, and you, get, you, get, you get out of whack about things, the Bible says there he'll give us grace to help in time of need. Don't spend your time biting away at your fingernails and feeling that you're all stressed out and letting stress and frustration wear you away. He says, you don't have to do that. He says, when you come to that throne of grace, God wraps his wonderful arms around you and he keeps you together so that you don't fall apart. If we don't come to God to keep us from falling apart, we will fall apart. God says, I'll put my arms around you and hold you together. I'll give you that grace to help in that time of need. Finally, would you notice one other thing? Confession's a cure. The closet's a cure. Coming's a cure. But you notice this, this morning as we close, a conviction for prayer is a cure. I'm thankful to say that we have a church, for the most part, we have a lot of praying people. I'm thankful for people that identify a place where they do pray and answers to prayer and journals and diaries that indicate a testimony of God's wonderful grace in their life. But I want to encourage every one of us, and we'll give you some tools tonight when you come back this evening. We'll give you some tools that will help you in developing that conviction about prayer, a conviction about God who answers prayer and a God who can help you there. Robert Murray McShane said this, what a man is on his knees before God that he is, and nothing more. We must have a conviction that we should pray. And we must have a conviction that God answers prayer. And we must have a conviction that we need to be in, in the presence of God in prayer over and over again. We must convince that prayer changes me and it changes the things around me. Abraham Lincoln said this, I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go except to God. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for the day. This morning, we looked at a king who's at this upper conduit, thinking that if he fortified that conduit, that the Confederate forces of Israel and Syria would not take away his water supply. Because in those days, like in our day, part of the strategy to war is you, you destroy the infrastructure, you attack their food supply. You attack their, their energy sources. You take away that which will make them vulnerable. You take away their water sources. And in those days, they didn't have modern plumbing like we do. And so they would, they would build these canals and these aqueducts. And they would tap into water supplies. And as we read in this passage of scripture, that there was an upper conduit where they were drawing their water. And, and King Ahaz had identified that with his military strategies. I think the first thing we need to do is we need to go there and we need to cover it up. And we need to fortify and put some guards there so they don't attack our water supply. So while we're fighting them, at least we still have water. 
And here comes the prophet Isaiah with his son, Shear Joseph, and the name Shear Joseph basically means this, a remnant shall return. And basically the very name of Isaiah's son is saying this, hey listen, you're gonna be safe, you're gonna be okay, just trust in me, just follow me. And God gave them an assurance, he said, listen, God's gonna take care of you. He says, don't worry about reason, don't worry about Pika, they're not gonna bother you. He says, in fact, Israel will cease to exist 65 years. I mean, he's giving them all these words of encouragement. He says, just believe me, and he says, just to help you, ask of me a sign in heaven above and earth beneath. He says, ask me a sign. And he says, I will answer you. And he said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. He had all of heaven's resources at his disposal. He could have called on God to just show him a sign because God said he would do it. And I want to tell you this morning that God's given you all his resources. He makes available to you and to me. And I'm not talking about prosperity theology and those things. He makes available to you and I all the resources of heaven to call unto him, he says, and I'll answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Christians need to pray. Christians ought to pray. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. The very first prayer a person must make is that prayer of confession, of calling on Jesus Christ to be their Savior. You see, you might be here this morning and the whole concept of prayer may, may just sound very vague and very fuzzy to you. You may identify the concept and say, why do we talk about prayer this morning? Well, your entryway in coming to know Jesus Christ, your Savior, your entryway knowing for sure you're going to heaven is knowing that the very first prayer you pray is asking Jesus to be your Savior. The Bible says this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. God wants you to be saved this morning. You see, the number one question in life we have to answer is this. If I die today, am I 100% sure I'm going to heaven? If you don't have that 100% assurance or you're trusting in something other than God's provision for you, it won't save you. God made the provision for you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins. Christ died on the cross for every one of your sins. He paid the sin debt for you and I. The sin debt is paid in full. And he just invites us at that moment of time to have faith in the death of Jesus Christ for our sins and his resurrection from the dead. And by having faith in that, he can save you and I from our sins. And we exercise that faith by calling on the Lord to save us. If you've never called on the Lord to save you, we're gonna invite you this morning to say, tell the Lord Jesus Christ you need to be saved. And tell the Lord you wanna make sure that you're going to heaven. And today, you can know for sure that you're saved and going to heaven.